Well, this morning we are talking about salt. And uh, I looked on the internet to find something that was fun about salt. Thank you, Mr. Skyler. And um, as I was looking, I found a website that showed 60 uses for table salt. Now, I didn't, go ahead, you take it. I didn't uh, give us all 60 because we don't have time today to do that. But I wanted, I picked some that were unique to me, at least, that I didn't know. And hopefully I'll give you guys some new information. And if you're a person who's responsible for laundry or cooking or cleaning or gardening, maybe some of this will be helpful. Soak stained hankies, like all of us use hankies now, in salt water before washing. I've never heard that before. That's what I heard. That's what I was reading was that that salt is very good for getting stains out. There was one that you could tell was an old, old saying because it said, if you spill ink out of your ink bottle (laughs) on your carpet, pile salt on it and let it sit there. And it literally wicks it, draws it out of the carpet. So if you ever have the opportunity to spill over your ink bottle... Sprinkle salt on your shelves to keep ants away. See, I get yelled at when I sprinkle salt or sugar at my house because that's always a mess. But now I have an answer. See, Not that I'm messy. It's that I'm keeping the ants out of the way. There you go. Add salt to green salads to prevent wilting. I've never heard that. A tiny pinch of salt with egg whites makes them beat up fluffier. So the next time I'm making a lemon meringue pie, not. (laughs) I don't like lemon meringue pie. Boil clothespins in salt water before using them and they will last longer. There was another one that I thought was perfect for Fairbanks. It said, soak your clothesline in salt water to prevent your clothes from freezing to the clothesline. (laughs) Yeah, I saw Mary out there last week hanging her whites. (laughs) Clean brass, copper, and pewter with paste made of salt and vinegar thickened with flour. Never heard of such a thing. Yeah, and it's cheaper. Well, then buying the stuff. Clean your iron by rubbing some salt on on a damp cloth on the ironing surface. Never heard of that. Melanie's saying she she knows it to be true. Amazing, amazing. Rub any wicker furniture that you have with salt water to prevent yellowing. I have six pieces of wicker furniture, and I've used it every week, and it never yellows. (laughs) Freshen sponges by soaking them in salt water. I never knew that. I just smell them and throw them away. (laughs) Believe me, the other day I got gagged because I was washing something, and then I went, it it was on my shirt because I'd spilled something, so I grabbed a, a sponge off of somebody else, not my home, somebody else's home, nobody in this congregation. And I just, I did this, and then I put it back, and I went. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
I'm not going to that kitchen no more. <laughs> Fruits put in mildly salted water after peeling will not discolor. Didn't know that. My wife uses uh, like uh, soda water, like uh, seltzer. Of course, that's got salt in it, so maybe that's it. To remove grease stains in clothing, which is what, what Joyce said, oil, uh, mix one part salt to four parts alcohol. Rubbing alcohol, folks. There was another one that said, to get the suds off your beer, sprinkle some salt. I was like, we won't put that one up. <laughs> sprinkle salt between the sidewalk bricks when you don't want grass growing there. Never heard that before, but it does make sense. Salt and lemon juice remove mildew. That's very good, because that way you're not using bleach or other chemicals. Yes, ma'am? Really? So copper, like Revere wear pans or something. Well, it did say, there was a lot of them that talked about when you buy brand new glasses, before you even use them once, soak them in the salt water. And it didn't say why, it just said do it. And it also said if you have glasses that are stained, to use salt water and something else. and, and, oh, like and Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it was vinegar. Uh, if a pie bubbles over in your oven, put a handful of salt on top of the spilled juice. The mess won't smell and will bake into a dry, light crust, which will wipe off easily when the oven has cooled. Really? Hey, that was too far. No, that was it. Sorry. Oh, this is a scripture. By the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. We are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 for the next two weeks. 13 today, 14, 15, and 16 next week. And 13 said, you just heard it, but we're going to repeat it one more time. I mean, we're going to look at it again in the Bible, if you want, with me. You are the salt of the earth. Who is the you? Everyone, the Christians. Yes, he was talking to his disciples. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. So he was talking to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you are like salt. See, that's I, the kids couldn't get a, an abstract concept, so I said they are to be like salt. But in Jesus' words, he really said, you are the salt of the earth. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salty? How shall its saltiness be restored? If it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I was reading from the English Standard Version. Sorry for those of you who follow along in NIV uh, or King James or New American Standard or anyway. Um, so I, I, I've been talking, I've been thinking about this for a week or two and the idea of salt and being salt of the earth. And believe me, I, I struggled with this. I, 
I don't always have to run to the commentaries to, to be able to come up with a sermon. But this one I really needed to. Because this particular topic or this particular thing is not easy to, to discuss. I mean, think about it. And we're going to talk more about it, those of you who come to the community group tonight. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be salt and what are some of the things we talked about in the sermon today. And I'll, I'll point them out when we get there. But when it says you are the salt of the earth um, and if you've lost your saltiness, da 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 Well, what is it that we're supposed to be doing as salt? And that's what I want to talk about first of all is what is the responsibilities? Well, that could be it. Let me, let me share with you this way and then, and then hopefully that'll, that'll answer or, or give you an understanding. This is a, a man named David Stern who, who, who did a, a Jewish commentary on the New Testament. In other words, he's a Messianic Jew. He's a, Christian, a Jew who believes in Jesus as the Messiah. And he wrote a commentary on the New Testament from the Jewish perspective. And he said in his commentary on this verse... Salt represents a person's willingness to do what Yeshua demands of his Talmudim. The Talmudim is the Jewish word for, or the Hebrew word for disciple. So salt represents in this verse what a person's, uh, represents a person's willingness to do what the Lord demands of his disciples. So what does God demand of our disciples? Well, of his disciples. Um, first of all, he talked about who what his disciples were when he, just a few verses before, if you've still got your Bible open, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, for they shall be. Blessed are the, for the, well, blessed are the, those whole list of thes, that's what, are, what the disciples are. We're peacemakers. We are meek. We are, what are some of the other ones? I don't have it in front of me. Poor in spirit. We are what? Pure in heart. So I was hunger and, hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is, this is who we are as, as disciples of Christ. But what do we do? And that's where this idea of salt and light comes in. We're going to talk about salt today. Talk, talk about light next week. But salt, according to William McCumber, uh, who wrote the Beacon Bible commentaries, he said uh, salt doesn't exist for itself but for the enhancement of soil and food. In other words, why did God create salt? Not so that it could just sit there, but so because it had a purpose. Alma has a salt lamp in her home, and it's not just because she wanted to have a pretty salt lamp, but there's a purpose for it. When she lights the heated the light bulb, which, which causes heat to come up to the salt, and then through the salt, there's an ionization process that takes place to purify the air. So there's a purifying that takes place in her home as a result of having a lump of salt in her home. So salt is not just salt, whereas gold is gold. Gold has value. Gold is, you can just go, ooh, gold. But salt, you go, ooh, salt. But salt has a purpose. Um, and it, it is, in, in, in us, when we're talking about this idea of salt, we have a purpose. We have a reason there is a, a reason that Jesus specifically used this term salt. Um, one of the commentaries that I read said, with blessings go responsibilities. Blessed are the, and he has a requirement for us as a result. Those in the kingdom have a responsibility to function as salt and light. And he wrote this. This is the sentence I highlighted. The purpose of discipleship is to bring stability 
Well, I think that I've actually got this on a, on a slide. The purpose of discipleship is to bring stability, wholeness, and the knowledge of God to all the earth through the performance of good works. Those who reject this responsibility and cease to fulfill their purpose in their lives are by definition no longer true disciples and therefore will be cast out by God. Remember in the book of John, chapter 15, where, God, where Jesus said that the Father is the master gardener and he prunes. And if he finds branches on the, on the vine that are not producing, he then cuts them off and casts them into the pile to be burned because they are no longer valuable to the whole. And so this is the idea that's being discussed here, that the purpose for disciples is to bring stability, wholeness, Knowledge of God to all the earth through the performance of good works. One of the things that I, I learned in my studies in the last number of months is the idea of shalom. What does shalom mean in your mind? Peace. That's not correct. That's literally what it means. But what it means is a completeness a wholeness, the fullness of God being present with you, which brings about peace. So when we are to be, when we are discussed that we are to be agents of shalom, which is what we talked about last week in our, in our community group, when we are to be agents of shalom, we are agents or disciples of Jesus Christ who bring the very presence of God into the lives of the people around us. They don't come to church to meet with God, but they have no choice but to sit next to you at work. So literally, if you think about it, you are the very embodiment of the presence of God when you are sitting in wherever you're sitting, at school, at work, on the bus, at the store, in a coffee shop. And your purpose is to bring stability Wholeness, which is the idea of peace or shalom, and the knowledge of God. Interesting when you think about that. Now, salt has some purposes. Two primary ones that are discussed in almost every commentary. Flavoring and preserving. There are others, but those are the two primary ones. Sin as flavoring. Uh, be wise in the way, this is Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most, <laughs> sorry, of every opportunity. Let your con conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Salt was used, <clears throat> as I said, as a flavor enhancer. You saw the demonstration we did with the kids this morning. With the saltine crackers. You lick the one side that doesn't have salt and it's bland. It's just a, a tasteless, pasty, bleh. Turn it around and oh my goodness, it changes it. Well, if you, if you were to have gone through that 60 uses for salt that I went through the other, uh, the, the, the 60 purposes for salt, I, I found a couple that said, put it in your hot chocolate. It's, and they, it said it enhances the flavor. It makes it richer, makes it sweeter. Put it in your coffee. Huh? Put it on pineapple. My wife puts it on cantaloupe. Puts it on grapefruit. 
it, 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 it enriches the flavor. It enhances the flavor. You wouldn't think it would. It brings out the sweetness. It does. That's exactly what it said. Is when you put a salt onto something, it brings out the sweetness. That doesn't make sense. But it's true. And so the purpose of salt is to bring in flavor. And when we talk about our purpose being to be the salt of the earth, how do you bring flavor? What about our relationships, our existence brings flavor into our world? Full of grace. Exactly. Exactly. One of the things that the evangelical world has really failed in in the last 50 to 60 years is expressing grace and love and mercy. We are so quick to gather our conservative world around us and say, we do not participate in that vile thing. And the reality is, when you do that, you have taken away the opportunity to enhance or bring out the sweetness that could be in a person's life. They're living in horror, rottenness, despair, pain physically and emotionally, psychologically. And where is their hope? We sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. But the people in the world can't, because they don't know how to do that, because no one's ever helped them to know how to do that. But if we are truly being the salt of the earth, when we are in their presence and we are speaking into their lives grace and mercy and love and acceptance. You see, the word tolerance has got such a bad rap right now. Because tolerance means I'm willing to put up with your stuff. And we think, oh, I don't want to be tolerant because that means I'm going to have to love the gays. True? Well, wouldn't it be terrible if we had a couple, three gay people come into our church and want to join? Or you fill in the blank. Could you, in all honesty, show grace and mercy and love to those people if they were to come into your world? I already confessed to you my struggles. And I'm not just about the gays. I'm talking about period. I have been very legalistic in the way that I have lived my life for the last 20 to 30 years. And I have had to do an about face and change who I am. Because mercy and legalism don't work. Grace and legalism don't work. Love and legalism doesn't work. Another thing, talking about salt as a flavoring, Colossians said, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Does that mean you spit so much when you talk that they get the salt from your saliva? No. 
And they're gross, but I've had it happen. You're like, ah! <laughs> but seasoned with salt, what does that mean? I've got a quote that I've got at the very end, but I want to use it here. Adam Clark, who was a, 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 a yeah, theologian from back in the 1700s, I believe, he wrote, salt from its use in preserving good from corruption and rendering it both savory and wholesome has always been made the emblem of wisdom. Let me repeat that. Salt from its use in preserving good from corruption and rendering it both savory and wholesome has always been made the emblem of wisdom. Now, when we go back to this idea of seasoning our conversation with salt, wouldn't it be nice if someone looked at you and had such deep respect for who you were that they would say to you, you speak wisely and I trust your wisdom. Where do you get your wisdom from? From the Bible, from God, from the learning that the Holy Spirit has given to you from insights and when you season your conversation with this salt, you are causing a thirst in the people. They find it intriguing, interesting, engaging as you're in conversation. Now, how many of you actually have those kinds of conversations with non-believers? There's a couple of you that have your hands raised, but most of us, not so much. Why? I'm not saying that you're at fault or you're bad. I'm just saying, why? What, what is the hindrance from just engaging in a normal, everyday, deep conversation and all of a sudden them going, wow, where did you get all that wisdom? And we'll talk more about that tonight at our community group. Salt is a preservative. Let's get this last. Well, I got two still. Salt is a preservative. <coughs> One cannot help wondering what would happen to modern society with all of its moral rottenness if it were not for the presence of the Christian church? Think about that. Because in the scriptures, in the book of Revelations, it does say that there's going to come a time when the church will be removed. And literally all hell will break loose on the earth. And I believe that it is the ever abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that is coming through us present in the world that is causing a lot of... Think about this. Well, let me make this statement before I go there. One of the other uses for salt was that salt would set color in cloth. So if you have a deep, rich color in a, in a blouse or an outfit or a tablecloth or something, if you wash it in salt water, you have less likelihood of it bleeding later as, you, as you're trying to wash it later. Now, think about a couple verses in Scripture. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you're taking notes, just write it down. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. The Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas have been in jail. It's midnight. They're singing songs and praises to God. An earthquake happens. The jail doors break open. And the Philippian jailer is about to take his life. And Paul yells out, don't be afraid. We're all still here. And the jailer comes down and says to them, what must... I do to be saved. And Paul's answer to him is, in 1631, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, 
You and your household. Let me read to you another one out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. These two verses are what we're going to be looking at again tonight. This is something we'll be talking about in our community group tonight. 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I cannot give you an answer, because I don't have an answer of what those actually mean. But there is something that happens with the presence of one who is in right relationship with God, bringing about a preserving or covering or protecting in their world. If Jesus' disciples are to act as a preservative in this world by conforming to kingdom norms, if they are called to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or even non-existent, they can discharge their function only if they themselves retain their virtue. Let me restate that. If Jesus' disciples are to act as preservatives in the world by conforming to kingdom norms, if they are called to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent, they can discharge this function only if they themselves retain their virtue. And that's what we're talking about now. Unsalty salt. If you think about it, strictly speaking, salt can't lose its saltiness. If you look at it from a chemical perspective, sodium chloride is a stable compound. It does not change. So salt is always salt. However, where do you get salt? In ancient Israel, they most of the time would go to salt marshes. Or go to the Dead Sea and bring up and then allow the water, the the liquid to evaporate and then the residue in the bottom would be their salt. Well, those that salt was not pure sodium chloride. That salt had many impurities in it. And so salt being water permeable, soluble, it would then go away through leaching out or other things and leave this dirty, nasty residue that was unsalted salt. Make sense? Okay, as you're using it, it reaches a point where there's no salt left, it's just the dirt. Okay? So if Jesus said to his disciples, you're the salt of the earth, but if you get to the point where there's so much impurity and not enough Salt left, you're valueless to the kingdom. Salt represents, as we said earlier, a person's willingness to do what Jesus demands of his disciples. Here's the second part of that statement. If a Talmud, a disciple, returns to the worldly ways after experiencing the truth and joy of following God's way, What is left to restore him or her? You see, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if you lose your saltiness, you have no value to the kingdom. And if we understand saltiness as being some entity that comes into us, I would give it to you that it is the 
the presence of God, the righteousness of being in right relationship with God, that it's possible for you as a Christian to live a righteous life and still have some impurities, some willful sin in your life. It is possible for you to go out into sin as a Christian and get to the point where you are useless to the kingdom because you've made really bad choices. And the possibility exists. Jesus said it in these verses. John chapter 15 talked about being cut away and burned. And there are other verses throughout the scripture that say, if you get to the point where there is no more holiness, righteousness, right relationship with God because you became an apostate, Hebrews chapter 6, then there is no hope for you. Because if you, the only hope is Christ. And if you've rejected Christ, there's no hope. And the likelihood of someone who has known Christ and then rejects Christ Having that person come back to a repentant mindset and coming back to Christ, it's very, very slim. So if you know someone who was a Christian but today is an atheist or is an agnostic saying, I've given up on all that garbage. The reality is you need to continue praying for them and continue being salt into their world and trying as best you can to speak love into their life. But the reality is they're probably not going to get to heaven. It's just not likely. However, it's not a no. It's a probably not. Because if the person chooses, they can be resalted. You see, salt, true salt, can never lose its saltiness. But the ancient salt that had all the impurities could become unsalty, and they literally would just toss it out. They toss it out on the path. It said one, one person said they toss it onto their roofs because it helped to form a crust on the roof, which was kind of a water barrier. And they would actually live up on their roofs, so they were literally trotting on it. So maybe that's where this was about. But the reality is, for us, we become salt because of Christ's presence in our life. We become salt because of our righteousness, because of the holy lifestyle that God has called us to and that we are living. So if we have strayed, made poor choices, gone off into sin, if we choose, we can return and we will be received by God. He will never forsake us. He will never say, sorry, you can't come back. And you can be re-salted. So finally, closing up. As I said, Adam, I mean, let me just, let me just bring up the Colossians thing one more time. Colossians chapter 4 said, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Take the opportunity, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't know what to say beyond that. So I think I won't. <laughs>